it, it still hasn't even really hit me yet. I don't think uh, I hadn't had a chance to see my family yet. And I think that's when it'll it'll really sink in. Um, but it's an honor um, to win this league. I mean, we have an unbelievable conference. The schools, the coaches, the players in this league. It's it's a really high level basketball league. I wish it got more national recognition than it does. So to, to be in the position to win a championship, um, it really means a lot because it's a big one to win. And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 39 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. And that was a clip with Coach Preston Spradlins uh, after his Moorhead State Eagles came away with a championship win over Belmont. And that was just a few of his thoughts after the championship win. But uh, TJ, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, this is what we've been waiting for. It's finally the NCAA tournament week. Yeah, recording here on Tuesday, and uh, get a full slate of games in just uh, three days from now. So I'm excited about it. How about you? Oh, th- this is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, yeah, I really love the OVC tournament, but just March Madness in general. I I get so excited for the selection show on that Sunday. You know, just seeing where the bubble teams are going and just everything about it i love seeing the excitement from the coaches and players you know the ones that are sitting on the edge of their seat not knowing if they're getting in you know they're waiting till the last second but then it's just the fact that you basically have four straight days of games starting at 11 a.m all the way till you know like 10 o'clock central time right and yeah i guess this year was a little different so it's not going to be you know like in years past like this year with fans not being able to really go to the game you're having games starting at you know 11 a.m a lot right but more times than not like every year you look forward to this stretch because like oh i can sit back and watch games all day Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm really looking forward to it uh during this episode we'll look at moorhead state loyola and drake as those three teams got into the ncaa tournament we'll look at their uh season review and their uh tournament matchup we'll also look at belmont as they miss both tournaments this year the ncaa and the nit we'll look at some of the coaching changes thus far in the missouri valley and the ohio valley a quick glance at the transfer portal and at the end we'll go over some of the teams in the ncaa tournament and the ones that missed you know typically you have these blue bloods that get in every year in the ncaa tournament a couple of those teams missed and then we'll give you a possible upset that we think uh, could happen in the first uh, round of the NCAA tournament outside of the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. But first things first, TJ, we'll look at the Missouri Valley and the, and the Ohio Valley for the teams that got into the tournament. So I'll let you go first with one of your Missouri Valley teams. Well, I was kind of uh, keeping my fingers crossed there after, you know, the schools like Georgetown upset kind of steal a bid. You know, with big in the Big East after their, I mean, they had a great tournament and, and kudos to uh, Coach Ewing and the Hoyas. But then, you know, that kind of, you know, that takes away a spot from your team at, or your, the teams that you're pulling for. So, you know, that that was what I was really looking forward to is what was Drake actually going to get in there? I mean, there were more and more projections that they, most of them said that they were in, but you never know. Those guys aren't sitting there in that committee room. You don't know what they're looking for. And are they going to take another Big Ten team, another ACC team, 
over, you know, a mid-major who, in all fairness, Drake didn't have any big wins. Their big win was over uh, Kansas State, yeah. which looked great back At in November. Yeah. But then you, you as the season went on, it's like, oh, maybe it wasn't so great, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I was really thankful to see, you know, happy to see them get in. And then, I mean... If you're a Missouri Valley fan, I don't know how you're not cheering like crazy for Drake to beat the brakes off of Wichita State. Oh, absolutely. You know, after they, you know, they, they brought great notoriety to the league, had a great run in 2014, but then leaving, uh, you know, you, you never want to see a team like that leave because it, they just brought so much to the conference. And I mean, I, you know, I have tons of college shirts. I'm definitely wearing my Drake polo <laughs> to work come was that Thursday or Friday that they play? Uh, Thursday. But you mentioned that, you know, was the Kansas State really, you know, that great of a win for Drake? But, you know, and it may not be, but if you flip the script, let's say they lose that game, then it's like, man, was that really a bad loss? Right. And now is that taken into consideration? Okay, they lost this Power 5 team. Okay, they lost. They're not getting in now because Kansas State was 12, 13 games yeah, below 500. They lost, they lost to a bad Power 5 team. Yeah. As opposed to winning that game that they should, you know, in hindsight that they should have. So, yeah. And then, you know, with Loyola getting the eight seed, um, you know, I, I don't understand how are you ranked 20th, but then you're the eighth seed, you know, that, that puts you in the, you know, the 32 to 36 range. But I would have even hoped maybe they would have slipped another two spots, get a 10 seed, because now you're looking at you win, you're going against Illinois, who yeah. might be. One of the hottest teams in the country. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Obviously, you look at Gonzaga, but then Illinois is playing a little bit different competition. I think they've won what their last seven in a row, and I don't, I don't. Cameron Crutwig's. I mean, obviously, we're we're kind of putting the cart before the horse here because they have a tough contest in front of them. But I think the easy thing is look ahead. I mean, uh, Crutwig going against Coburn. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily what you want to look at. So you know, look no. at some of these other ten seeds that they're all going against Power Fives as well. So. You know, uh, I was also a little, for me personally, to see when uh, that they had Loyola and Moorhead State both for the selection show that they were at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, you're excited. I mean, oh, the only thing that would have been better if it would have been the Salukis there, you know, getting to do that. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that'll happen down the road. I mean, but this is definitely a unique year. And I think they both have a real chance to win their first game. And, you know, who knows? I mean. You took a couple of years ago, you didn't expect Loyola to make a run to the Final Four. No. Even going into the into the tournament, you weren't thinking into the conference tournament. You weren't thinking, "Hey, they're going to make a run." So sometimes things just line up weird. You know, it's just the basketball gods smile upon you or frown upon you, and things happen. Well, I mean, you you talk about Loyola's Final Four run. You know, a couple of years ago, they did say today that uh, Sister Jean will be making the trip for the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, and apparently she said something. I, I don't see Kentucky. <laughs> Throw a little shade for 101 years old. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I'll be rooting for, you know, Loyola and Drake and the Loyola matchup, you know, in particular, uh, if they can win the first game against Georgia Tech. Right. And that matchup with Illinois, as you said, you know, with Coburn, uh, you know, Illinois got, you know, first team you know, All-Americans. Right. Well, Crutwig, Crutwig right, ended up getting legitimate. Crowwood got the third team All-American, you know. Yep. So, I mean, it would just be a great matchup to see going back and forth. And uh, and you better believe if Loyola can get to that game and Illinois wins, which, I mean, I would assume they would. Right. Uh, Loyola is going to be ready to go. I mean, that's an in-state matchup that, you know, they haven't gotten to 
you know, play Illinois yeah. in their four years there. And you got to think a kid like Lucas Williamson comes to mind for Loyola that, hey, here's a Chicago kid, probably thought, I, I want to play at a Big Ten school, whether it be Northwestern Illinois, was overlooked. And I mean, not that they don't have a reason to have a chip on their shoulder already as a mid-major, but I think it would be even added there. Here's a school that was right here in my backyard that didn't give me the time of day. But obviously we can't overlook Loyola playing Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech just won the ACC oh. tournament. They're playing really well. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, but that's that's the matchup we're hoping for, I think, as well. Well, and and that is uh, the seeding really, really got to me, you know, for like the ACC and, you know, the ACC and Georgia Tech and Florida State. Florida State gets that fourth seed, and Georgia Tech wins the ACC, and they end up with the, what was it, the nine seed? Yeah, they're a nine seed against Loyola. <clears throat> so I don't know how they justify, you know, the, the ACC winner gets the nine seed with really a pretty solid record in the ACC. They were, they were like 21 or 22 and eight, I think. Yeah, they finished 17, 17 and eight. And eight? Yep. Okay. Um, whereas Florida State gets the four seed. Now, in some of these other conferences yeah i understand oregon state and georgetown they both win the tournament i mean a 12 seed you know fits them perfectly right they kind of stole a bid exactly record not as good but georgia tech played well all year and for them to have that low of a seed Mm -hmm. really kind of stuck out to me yeah i i had a chance i watched paid attention to the uh women's selection show as well for reasons we might get into later and it almost seemed like the mid-majors kind of had better representation in those conferences compared to, you know, or in the women's NCAA tournament sure. compared to the power fives kind of dominating in the men's. And, you know, you, you always wonder if there's some name brand. Cause I heard some people like, well, would you rather have Duke in the tournament or would you rather have Drake? Well, if you're asking me, but I'm a mid-major homer too, <laughs> yep. you know, so just kind of like you're, you know, the buddy I was talking to is, is a big Duke guy, but you know, do I want a bad Duke team in there? Do I want a bad Kentucky team in there? Who's going to be around for a day, especially in a year where they're not going to draw fans. I mean, even if I think even this year that Duke fans and Kentucky fans are smart enough that if they would have gotten in the tournament with, hey, fans can go. Do, yeah. Do they go? Am I gonna Am I gonna drive from, you know, uh, those places to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to watch a regional? Where sure. I think we're only gonna be there for a game or two. Yeah, and and that's something we can get into later on in the show about a couple of these blue bloods. So, what are your thoughts about Moorhead State's matchup? I like the matchup. Um, I mean, West Virginia, obviously a good team. Uh, they finished the season 18-9, and nine, got the three seed, whereas Moorhead State finished 23-7. and seven. I was not surprised Moorhead State got a 14 seed. It seems like, I don't know, the last 10 years, the OVC's, uh, the team that gets in is usually between 14 and the 11 seed, somewhere in that range. Um, so I wasn't surprised with the seed they got. Uh, when you look at Ken Palm, Moorhead State is ranked 128th, according to Ken Palm, and then West Virginia is 27th. The one area in this matchup I mean, that you have to look at, both teams really play uh, strong defense. Um, when you think West Virginia and Bob Huggins, you think defense. You know They like to uh, slow the pace down. Now, this year their offense has been a little bit better than in years past. Um, but Moorhead State, I mean, you know, we saw it all year, especially in the OVC. I mean, they led the Ohio Valley in basically every major category defensively, and they do not play at a fast pace. And if they want to stay in the game against West Virginia, they really have to slow the pace down. 
And that's what they've done this year. I mean, you look at their adjusted efficiency, and when Moorhead State's on defense, they rank 72nd. Now, when West Virginia's on offense, they're 11th. So that's one area that uh, could stand out. But the other areas, with Moorhead State's defense, they play really well uh defending whether it's the three or the two point so i mean they get in people's faces they get in the player's face and they make you earn it now the one area of concern is uh it's the fouls uh, moorhead state you know they they draw their fair share of fouls when they're on defense and put the opposing team at the line but when moorhead states on offense they don't have they don't have the weapons like west virginia does uh, i mean Obviously, Morehead State's got a couple good guys, you know, led by John A. Broom. Um, but they're going to have to cut down their turnovers. I mean, their their turnover percentage on offense, it's not very good. Uh, they rank 332nd in the country in turnover percentage, whereas West Virginia, they're a top 75 team in the country in forcing turnovers. Uh, so that's an area where, you know, Morehead State's going to have to play better. Uh, according to Synergy, Moorhead State ranks in the 94th percentile in half-court defense. So they're very aggressive when it comes to that half-court defense, and that's won them ball games this year. You know, in the, especially in the OVC, they like to win games in the 60s. You know, the, their points per game, you know, that they allowed was in the low 60s, and that's how they were able to key in on you know winning 15 of the last 16 games, mm-hmm. which included two games against Belmont. Because the first time they played Belmont this year, they did not look very crisp, you know, really throughout the whole game. But they made some adjustments and they rebounded, you know, like a week and a half later with a win. And I think when Moorhead State saw they were able to make that change against Belmont, that really boosted their confidence going into the Ohio Valley tournament. So Moorhead State's been playing well as of late. And, you know, I... I'm really looking forward to the game. I think the spread opened up as 12 and a half, which, I mean, didn't really surprise me. You kind of see that with a, th- a three and 14 seed. Uh, but I, th- I think it's going to be pretty low scoring to start out. And I think, because looking at that lower half of the Midwest bracket, that is prime for a Cinderella run. I mean, you look, that's the same bracket as Illinois and Loyola up in the top half of it. But in that lower half, there is nobody there that particularly scares you this year. Because, you know, the West Virginia Moorhead State winner is going to get the San Diego State Syracuse winner. Now, San Diego State's had a really strong program, but then you automatically, like, is it because of their conference? You know, and they've had some good athletes. And, you know, the other part of that is Clemson Rutgers. Nobody that I'm really like, well, we don't have a shot. No. Houston. Cleveland State. I mean, I'm not really concerned. I think if I win that first game against West Virginia, we get some confidence. You know, they have to be playing with some confidence already, but there'll be another level of we're playing with confidence after we beat a power five. I mean, you're looking, I think you 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 can win two games. You can win three games. Well, and, and the one area that really is going to help Moorhead State is, you know, I've talked about it in previous episodes. They've played teams similar to West Virginia, meaning power five teams. You know, they opened the season against Kentucky. They played Ohio State. They played Clemson. I mean, so two of those teams in the NCAA tournament. Right. Obviously, Kentucky didn't make it. But then they also played Richmond, who did not make the NCAA tournament. But but most of the year we thought they were going to be in. Exactly. Especially with a win over Kentucky. But they made it to the NIT. So 
I think that strength of schedule, it didn't look very, uh, you know, didn't look very good at the beginning of the season right. with, with the score that you saw in those uh, games. But I think it mentally and physically prepared them for the Ohio Valley stretch and at least gave those players and the coaching staff a look at, hey, you know, if we get to the NCAA tournament, we're going to have to play teams like this right. and we're going to have to play better. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing those two teams play. It's a late game. Yeah, but there's always the old adage, you know, like, do we want to be good in November? Or do we want to be good in March? Now, all coaches want to be good <laughs> at both, all through it. But, you know, if you have to pick your poison, you're taking March every day of the week. Exactly. Um, so that that's the three teams that made the NCAA tournament from the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. Outside of the NCAA tournament, we'll work our way into kind of the NIT part of things here, and we'll look at some of the teams that made the NIT. But working our way into the NIT to kind of you know piggyback off of that, uh, we'll look at Belmont. Uh, Belmont season over. I think it is. I don't think they're having one of those other smaller. I think there is a CBI. There is this year. Yeah, I think. Is it the CIT? I think is not. One of them got canceled. Right. So okay. if only we had a device in front of us to look up all the world's knowledge. <laughs> that would be a great thing. Let's work on inventing that. So with uh, with one tournament maybe possible, one of those lower uh, uh, postseason tournaments, still the fact is they missed the NCAA and the NIT. Was I surprised that they missed the NCAA tournament? I really wasn't, you know, they only had 26 wins, which (laughs) led the country. But the part that stands out was that strength of schedule that we had talked about, you know, during multiple other episodes leading up to the uh, conference tournament. For most of the season, they were near the bottom, you know, of strength of schedule, which really hurt their chances if they were going to find themselves in the bubble, which they did. Uh their strength of schedule slowly got better, but it was still in the 250 range, which isn't very good for teams on the bubble um, or that net ranking. Um, so the NCAA tournament, did, was I surprised they didn't make it? No, especially seeing these other teams that were on the bubble like Colorado State, Louisville, St. Louis. Uh, but when Georgetown and Oregon State stole those bids from couple of those other teams, you just knew, you know, Belmont wasn't going to get in. Uh, Now that leads you to a whole nother aspect here. Was I surprised they didn't get an NIT? Damn right I was. I I for sure thought they were at least getting in the NIT. I didn't care if there was 16 teams compared to 32. I thought it was absolute shit that they didn't get in. Um, Because, okay, yeah, talked about their strength of schedule. Fine. But... Some of these other teams that were able to get into the NIT, which I'll be honest, it's more of a mid-major tournament. Right. Yeah, you got Mississippi State in there. I think North Carolina State is in there. But the majority of it is a a group of mid-major teams. And Belmont not only led the country in wins or tied for wins, um, they also played the most games. So Mm -hmm. they did their fair share of making sure they got games on their schedule and got to play them. Now, is it fair to say that they don't get into the NIT either because of their strength of schedule? I don't I don't think it really is just because 
let's be honest, as good of a program as they've been, if COVID is not a thing, there is no chance they had the they had a weak schedule like they did. Right. They would have had some power five games on there. They would have been in some uh you know, early season uh classics, tournaments, whatever you right. want to call it. But COVID hit and they changed their whole aspect, like most mid majors did. They went to doing the you know, the regional games. Which you can't you can't blame a school for doing that. You're right. wanting to keep the players safe, healthy, and you're trying to get as many games played as you can. And they did that. They played 30 games this year, and you know lead the country in wins and a very talented group, you know, on the team as well. And they would have been able to compete with some of these Power Five schools that got in. And we can talk about some of these other teams that got in, you know, later on in the show or even in the NIT. But the fact that they missed out on both, I think, is just shit. Do you think, or how much of a factor did it play that four of their losses came in, what, the last three weeks? You know, they if they if they had spread out those four losses, they had one in December, maybe one in January, then, you know, two there in that late February, early March section. Because they, they, they were undefeated. Maybe they're getting a little pressed because of it, but then... I think all four of those losses came pretty late. I think you do they look at oh, they aren't they're not playing real well, and they lost to four conference teams in a, in a not very highly rated conference. I yeah, I, I think it may have played a role, but I also look at the fact that two of those losses were to Moorhead State, who's in the NCAA tournament. So it's not like they lost to a team a bottom feeder in the league this year, right? Um, so they lost to Moorhead State twice, who had twenty three wins. And they also lost to an Eastern Kentucky team that finished with 22 wins. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that they were playing just these, you know, lower teams in the conference and losing to them. The other aspect you have to look at is towards the end of the season, Belmont had, you know, basically a key injury in Nick Musinski. You know, he, he wasn't at full strength. He missed a game. And then even when he did play, he didn't play a lot of minutes. And you could tell he wasn't all that healthy. But he was... He was getting back to basically full strength as each game went by. His minutes increased and his, uh, you know, productivity and how well he played mm -hmm. got better. So I think you have to look at that too as you know the health of the team as the season ended. It got better. You know, yeah, they still lost in the championship, but you played a Moorhead State team who really it was just came together. You know, they they made the difference from the game they played first first in the season against Belmont and they they changed some things you know inside their offense and defense and it worked um but it may have played a role I I don't think that should have been a deciding factor in why they couldn't get into the NIT because they lost to two teams that combined to you know finish with 55 wins and mm -hmm. you know I mean, that's that's pretty damn good yeah but is it really a national invitational tournament if you're playing it in Frisco, Texas? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure the people of Frisco, Texas are great people. I'm sure the Comerica Center is a fantastic facility. But I'm not playing at the Garden. That's the draw. That's why you want to play in the NIT. I mean, obviously you want to play in the NCAA tournament, but the part of the draw of the NIT is like we get to the finals, we get to the final four, we're going to the Garden, the basketball mecca in my opinion. Like, I think that's the one place that 
true basketball fans want to watch a game and players want to play a game. Now, I haven't looked at scheduling you know, purposes here yet, but the only thing I can maybe think of is that, you know, Madison Square Garden already one of the professional teams is playing there during the NIT, but but they do it every other year. I I know. Right. I, for whatever reason, maybe when they did the scheduling, they couldn't bank on the NIT playing. I don't know. That's the only possible outcome I can think of. I, I mean, that or they wanted to have everybody there because usually they start out at home sites. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the one thing we need to make sure we uh, remind listeners is that they cut the tournament field in half. It's usually 32 yep. teams. They cut it down to 16. But you said the, the women's NIT is still 32 yeah. teams. Well, Perplexing. I mean, I, I, I think it's 32 teams because when, when I saw it on television and said the NIT, 32 teams, I didn't watch the whole thing. But from what I gathered, it was uh, 32 teams in the NIT. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, some yeah. of the other teams in the... 32 teams. Okay, there we go. Uh, nonetheless, some other uh, games in the NIT or other teams, uh, the, these matchups start out tomorrow, which will be Wednesday the 17th. You got Toledo and Richmond. They go head-to-head. Western Kentucky and St. Mary's. And then St. Louis got a one seat as well. North Carolina State and Davidson. SMU and Boise State. So, I mean, okay, so right there, like Davidson 13 and 8, you know, they didn't play as many games as Belmont. They didn't get as many in. And you're you're telling me they should even had a two seed? Right. I mean, nothing against Davidson. They've had a good program. But I just, I don't like it at all. Now, I don't like it one bit. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, we'll get into the, some of the coaching changes that has happened here recently in the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. Uh, TJ, I'll let you go first on the Missouri Valley side. Well, it came out, I think Jeff Goodman broke the news right before uh, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament that Coach Lansing's contract was not going to be renewed. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people were speculating was going to happen, but thought maybe finishing fourth in the league was going to help save his job. And then, you know, it had a weird press conference where the athletic director and Coach Lansing were there together after news had already broken to do. That's, that's all backwards to me. You know what that'd be like? It'd be like if you're on vacation with your girlfriend, you break up, and you got to take the, the flight back. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and I actually know somebody that, that happened to. Was that an episode of, uh, of uh, Seinfeld? I think that happened. Elaine <laughs> broke up with Buddy, and they kept fighting on the plane yeah, on the way hey, home. But talk about an awkward plane. Yeah, but that was awkward, and uh, you know. So I think there was speculation was going to happen. One of the stories that's coming about is that Lansing didn't want a one-year deal that he was he was offered earlier in the season. Again, this is speculation. I, I we, obviously we haven't spoken to anyone to confirm that. And, you know, wanted a two-year deal, which from a recruiting standpoint, you need. Otherwise, Absolutely. schools use that against you. Like, you want to go there? He doesn't have a contract for next year. They could have at least given him some, a two-year contract with the the school option because you had to get 25 wins. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to know that. I mean, we, you could have, you know, done some information digging and stuff like that. But that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, he's Coach Lansing, uh, you know, at, we had a great time visiting with him on the show. So he has moved on you know i'm he hasn't gotten a job yet but we definitely saw 
the mass exodus. And I'm just seeing now that about two hours ago that it's that Jake LaRavia announced he signed with Wake Forest. Wow. So, you know, for the new coaches, those are big shoes to fill that you not only do you lose Tyreek Key, you've lost Jake LaRavia. And every coach wants to put his stamp on the program and bring in guys that, you know, he already knows and how he has a relationship with them. But, whew, I mean, good for Jake. Really, you know, from what it sounds like, didn't have many people looking at him. And now, when he first came out of high school, but now he's going to go to the Power SEC. Five, yeah. yeah. So good for him. What about uh, on your side with uh, Eastern Illinois? So on the Ohio Valley side, as you just mentioned, Eastern Illinois, yeah, Eastern Illinois and Coach Jay Spoonauer uh, basically parting ways. Uh, Jay Spoonauer's contract was up, and they just basically said they weren't going to renew right. it. Same situation with Indiana State, so it, almost it, identical. Exactly. Uh, Coach Spoonauer at Eastern Illinois during his time, he went 119 and 157, uh, 66 and 88 in the OVC. Uh, the record may not, you know, sound great, but a lot of that, you know, is kind of how this this year went. And I really don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's all Coach Spoonauer's fault. I mean, he was dealt a a bad hand this year, you know, with with all the seniors he had on the team. You know, there was a lot of expectations for Eastern Illinois to have a, a good team. And I thought they would be one of the best teams in the conference this year if they were able to stay on the court. Now they, you know, COVID happened for them. You know, they had some, you know, they dealt with that. But a lot a lot of it had to do with the injuries. Uh, you know, I get it. You know, his contract was up. Maybe it was a good time for them to move on, you know, with the school, you know, by not renewing it. But if if the team was able to stay healthy, I mean, they showed this year when the team was healthy how good they could be. You know, they swept the series against Murray State, um, and, and and they showed at the beginning of the year against some of their Power Five games. You know, in that game against Wisconsin, you know, they lost by ten. They played really good against Dayton on the road, and they showed flashes of how good they could be. But ultimately, with the amount of injuries Coach Spoonauer was dealt and the whole program. It was just hard to find any continuity, and that that really hurts you, right? It just, like you said, it was just a victim of circumstance, really. Like if he gets to have all those seniors because they're healthy, that's gonna be one of those what if things. You're, yeah, you, obviously, they saw things over the long term that they weren't happy with the direction sure. of the program, and you know maybe this is their chance that hey we're gonna be with seniors we can bring in somebody new you got a clean slate because we graduated so many people you know and get to make your decisions that way well and that's the other thing you know it not you know obviously those seniors had the option to come back if they wanted to and right who knows maybe most of them weren't going to come back so it was basically gonna be like kind of a rebuild yeah. year anyway yeah and as the new coach you can be like yeah we, we i think it's time you use your degree <laughs> you know Put that degree to work. Sure. But outside of the coaching changes, uh, we'll work our way into a little brief overview of the transfer portal uh, to this point. And there hasn't been a whole lot on the OVC side of things yet that has really stood out. So I'll let you go here first about the Missouri Valley. Yeah, it really has felt like a mass exodus. I think we'll start with Indiana State, who we already mentioned that Jake LaRavia signed with Wake Forest. (laughs) But, you know, along with him, Trey Williams, who started most of the year. Cooper Neese, who was added to the list, who was their sharpshooter outside. Kobe Barnes saw significant minutes. Then you join with them. 
Jared Hankins and Calix Stevens. So, you know, the new coach coming in has some rebuilding to do. This has become a recurring theme, but Valparaiso had another mass exodus. You know, a couple of years ago, they had Javon Freeman Liberty, who after his freshman year entered the portal, then decided to come back. And then last year he did leave and went to DePaul, whose coach just got dismissed as well. So you wonder what's going to be in the mix <laughs> there. But, you know, Malik McMillan, Daniel Sackey, Donovan Clay, who's still got two years of eligibility, yep. well, I guess three years with this extra year because he's only a sophomore. Uh, Nick Robinson, all those guys got significant time along with Sigurd Lorang and Stephen Helm. So you're looking at six guys that have left there. Evan Gauger's leaving Northern Iowa. And then Illinois State, uh, Keith Fisher is, uh, is leaving. Samari Curtis at Evansville, he just transferred from Nebraska, sat his year. And I guess, you know, wasn't happy with the, the minutes he was getting. Thomas Gilgis Alexander at Edwardsville, excuse me, at Evansville also. And then Bradley had a mass exodus. Daniel Kingsby, Antonio Thomas, Terry Nolan Jr., Kevin McAdoo. So, you know, kind of makes you wonder what's going on. Or at, in some level, I think you have to understand that these are always one-year renewable scholarships. It's not like, hey, Chris, we... You have four years here, no matter what. If if we're not happy with the direction that you're going, the improvement, or you know you're not as you're you're not able to compete at this level like we thought you were going to, or we hoped you'd be able to by this point, maybe it's time you found someplace new to play. You know, because you see some of these guys, especially at, at the mid-major level, that hey, we didn't make it. Now you're playing at a D two. You know, I've seen yep. a couple of those guys play in the Great Lakes Valley Conference, you know, that that I've worked some games in. So some of those are those types of discussions. And, you know, some of these guys for Bradley were the ones mentioned in that uh, police report that they were cleared. But it may have been like, hey, you put yourself in a bad spot, you know. And, and again, this is all speculation on my part. I have no inside knowledge, but I, you think you, one way or the other that may have played a factor. Like yeah, well, coach, coach suspended me and didn't want to hear my side of the story. You know, there may have been some hurt feelings, but again, all speculation on my part, nothing uh, confirmed, but it's just amazing, you know, and then you think of a school like SIU that struggled this year, haven't heard any names come out from there yet, Missouri State, who had a ton of cats playing for them, but they had to be really happy with the direction they were going, so, you know, that's the other side of it you look at, too, is who's not leaving, because, you know, <laughs> you know with, the, with not having to sit a year, you really worry about power fives coming in and, you know, raiding the cupboard. Absolutely. For you. you know, like a Marcus Damascus, if he has a healthy year, does does somebody come knocking, you know, and say, hey, why don't you come play for us? Because the, the coach that's at Cincinnati is the guy that recruited him to Northern Kentucky to yep. begin with, you know. So does he like, hey, I've got a spot for you now, you know. But I think this, again, this year and for the next couple of years as these guys get a extra year of eligibility is are going to be really strange times and, and adding in the no sit rule. Oh, absolutely. You don't have to sit rules being eliminated or whatever yeah. you want to say it. A lot of teams are going to, you know, have to find a way to adjust to it. Exactly. So on the Ohio Valley side, really one guy right now that, that stands out and that's Jordan Adams of Austin P. He's recently entered the uh, transfer portal and it's really big news in the conference because with Austin Peay's, uh Terry Taylor, obviously everybody knows who Terry Taylor is. Right. Uh, with him graduating, uh, Jordan Adams was going to be the guy expected to run that offense at Austin P. And it looks like he was wanting to go a different route, which 
before he landed Austin P, he was actually a Baylor commit. So he's he's obviously got the power five level talent. Mm-hmm. Um, he chose to go to Austin P, which last year uh, him and Terry Taylor were that one two duo, and they were great. You know, but as a sophomore this year, he saw his average go from seventeen over seventeen points per game last year to just over nine points per game this year. And a lot of that had to do with he was battling injuries all year. So he wasn't able to get in a real rhythm out there. Whenever he did get in there, he looked like he was forcing some shots. Uh, And don't even know if he was actually 100% healthy, though, out there either. Right. Because Austin P was expected to be atop the conference. And, you know, he he may have been pressing a little too hard just trying to help the team out. Um, But Adams has reportedly been uh, uh, contacted by Texas A&M. TCU, East Tennessee State, and even Loyola Chicago. Um, So, I mean, that that could be a good get for Loyola. Right. um, If Adams ends up going there. And that's just since uh, he's entered the uh, portal. Um, So, I mean, and who knows? There may be other teams that have since uh, joined in on, uh, you know, Adams' interest. It's always a fluid situation. That's the big word for 20... 20 and 2021 is it, it fluid and till we get to our new normal which we're still waiting on <laughs> so we'll see what happens with adams and you know the, those uh teams that he'd been contacted by that saw that via the nashville post um so we'll see um outside of that tj uh that kind of wraps up the you know mvc and ovc side of things from the ncaa tournament the nit the coaching changes, and the transfer portal. So working our way out of the conference, uh, we'll go to the NCAA tournament here. You know, some of those blue bloods that we had mentioned earlier in the show uh, didn't make the tournament. So you had, you know, Kentucky, you mentioned Duke. Uh, Those two teams typically in it, you know, basically every season. It's, It's the first time in my lifetime, and I'm older than you, it's the first time in my lifetime that those two teams have not been in the tournament at the same time. Now, granted, it was months before I was born in 1976, <laughs> but like it's been pointed out too, it's the last time an undefeated team finished the season undefeated, obviously. But I mean, the 76 Indiana Hoosiers and Duke and Kentucky are not in the NCAA tournament. All I'm saying right now, uh, you talk about Gonzaga being undefeated. I have picked them to win the NCAA tournament the last four years. It's obviously not worked out for me. I would be dumb to just go against it this year and not pick them because if I didn't pick them, they would probably win. So I'm picking Gonzaga to win the uh, tournament. Uh, Not because they're undefeated. I just think they're really good. And my luck, this would be the year they'd win if I didn't pick them. (laughs) Well, I'm sure Coach Few would rather that you didn't pick them. (laughs) That's that's what the difference is. Yeah. Well, I heard on local radio that they said it's the number one overall seed has not made the final four in the last six tournaments, the last six years, and has not won the tournament in the last eight. So it's not just Gonzaga. It's, it's the number it's one a overall curse. seed. Yep. Yeah, we don't want the number one overall seed. Yeah, you do. You still want the number one overall seed. So with you know Duke not making the NCAA tournament, we kind of figured Kentucky wouldn't get in. Right. We're... Were you surprised that Duke did not get into the NCAA tournament, maybe like even in a playing game, just based off their brand? I don't I don't know. I I hoped they wouldn't. 
Now I'll start with I'm not a big Duke fan. You know, I think you either are a Duke fan or you're absolutely not a Duke fan. There's no kind of like there's ah, no middle ground. Yeah. Sometimes I like him. You know, you either think Grayson Allen was a really hard player or you think he was dirty. I think, you know, you fall into those two camps. So I thought there was a chance they'd still get in, but I didn't think they deserved to get in. But I don't know if that was my bias of not liking Duke, too, because I still remember Christian Leitner stepping on that dude's chest when they played Kentucky back in the day. Yep. You know, that, those are the kinds of things that stand out to me. Well, you mentioned uh, Grayson Allen. You know, I, uh, my, I think it was my dad was telling me, you know, oh, yeah, you remember that, that guy at Duke that you know would, would trip people? I said, yeah. I said, he's actually in the NBA. He goes, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's in the NBA. And still doing the same stuff. <laughs> it hasn't changed. Yeah. So, but yeah, so let's take Duke for example. They didn't get in with like a 14 and 13 record. Uh, that's really not that far off from some of the teams that did get in. Right. Uh, and we'll use Maryland as an example. They went 16 and 13. Uh, what is your thoughts on some of these Power Five schools that got into the NCAA tournament? And we'll maybe use the Big Ten for example. I think like nine teams got in. That's right. obviously way more than half. Right. of their conference. Right. I think if you can't finish in the top half of your conference, you shouldn't be in there. Now, the argument will be, well, Drake wouldn't have finished in the top half of that conference either. Well, so be it. Then go play Drake. You're the one sitting there saying, hey, look at our record. You know, we, we play in the toughest conference in the country, but then you won't play somebody else because you're afraid you're being, they didn't play Belmont. They're not playing loyal. I mean, Wisconsin, to their credit, they went. They they brought Loyola to play them, but you're not, you can't sit there and say like we play such a tough record, a tough conference, and then not play those tough mid majors either. And then you finish ninth out of fourteen teams, and you get in the tournament. Give me a break. I, I it just irritates me. Like I don't need to see Rutgers play. I'd rather see Belmont play. Yeah, I mean, well, and and I'll be honest. Like you look at the match all the matchups, the 32 games uh, for the first round. Uh-huh. And most of them really interest you. Um, but I'll be honest, that one that when you're scanning all the games, the one that really, I just think just indifferently, like, I don't care if I watch <laughs> or not. It's really the Clemson and Rutgers game. Uh-huh. Like I, I don't feel like I need to watch that. Right. Um, I mean, same could be said for, you know, the UConn and Maryland game. I think UConn's played pretty well this year, but, you know, Maryland being 16 and 13, it, yeah, it could be a really good game. It just, I don't have a lot of interest in it, but my opinion really probably doesn't matter to many people. Right. Um, so, you know, it, I think it's all, it's all here or there, but I agree. I think it needs to be, you need to finish upper, the upper portion of your yeah, conference. I'd say at least the top half of your league. But then I, I, I understand some of the other, you know, draws for getting into the tournament, you know, being that low in the conference because, mm-hmm. you know, Big Ten was good. Right. And I think if you looked at the, the top 25 rankings at one time, I think you had five or six teams like in the top 15. But they feast on each other. I know. And that's oh, the other. Oh, look who we lost to. The demo one ranked. But they've only played guys in our league. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, in, in Illinois we have that weird playoff system. You have a you have a ten team conference. Well, there's your nine teams. There's your nine games for the football season. We went nine nine and zero. Oh. Yeah, 
against every, the people that are in your league. I don't know how good they are because they haven't measured up against anybody else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's frustrating to me. It's up there. It's probably more frustrating to me than, hey, I won my conference tournament. I got my school's auto bid and I still have to play a playing game. You know, like Texas Southern, I think it is, out of the SWAC, the three seed, they you know win a game in overtime, they win their championship, and now they still have to play a playing game. No, I think those playing games, that's the phrase that I don't think the tournament likes those that phrase yeah. play in, but that's what they are. You weren't one of the top 68 or the top 64. You have to prove yourself to get in. Well, I think Texas Southern did. Yeah, they won their tournament. They won their tournament. They did what they were supposed to do. I, I'll agree with you on that. I, I do think that if you win your tournament, you should not have to play in a playing game. And I, and I love that Michigan State and UCLA have to play a playing game. They put two power fives. Against Michi- each other. And Michigan State beat some guys. Too, oh, they did. You know, but they had some other missteps. You know, they had some problems early on. So uh, the other thing I thought about, too, is how badly did Duke hurt themselves by, remember, when Coach K kind of, through a tantrum, for lack of a better term, I mean, we're not playing anymore non-conference yeah. games after oh, yeah. they lost to Illinois. Well, th- you could have got three or four wins there. Well, now you're, what, 18 and 13, 19 and 13? Uh, okay, we'll get you in. But now you finish 14 kinda, and 13. You know, you kind of shot yourself in the foot that way. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. So, um, and, and the one other thing that, you know, I don't think this is really off topic, but if you go back just a minute to your Texas Southern point, you know, and that's a team that goes out of their way to really have a solid non-conference schedule. Like you see kind of like year after year, they play a really good non-conference schedule. But looking and looking at their schedule, you know, Texas Southern, we'll, we'll go back one year. You look at last year. They had San Diego State on their schedule, Wichita State, Arkansas, Gonzaga, Nevada, Oregon, Arizona State, and Texas A&M. I mean, a brutal stretch of games. Now, right. not all those were in a row, but they played some of those games close. They lost to Texas A&M by three. They lost to Oregon by six. Uh, Wichita State by six. You know, so they put teams on their schedule to help prepare them to try and get to their or to win their conference tournament and to have experience playing against these teams if they can get to the NCAA tournament. And, and it's really a trend that Mike Davis started after, you know, the guy who won a national title, or not won a national title, but, you know, took Indiana pretty deep. And he went there and was like, we'll play whoever wants to play us. And, and that's what they're doing at Texas Southern. And you look at this year Washington State, eh, not a great. Not a very good Power 5 team, but it's still a bigger school. Right. You know, so Washington State, Oklahoma State, uh, they beat Wyoming, uh, also played St. Mary's in the NIT, Auburn, BYU. So not as good of a schedule as they played in years past, but who knows? The schedule may have changed due to, you know, the COVID. Right. Uh, But again, I mean, that's still right there. I'll... You know, three for sure power fives, and then BYU is in the tournament, and you know St. Mary's has a very good program. Right. So I mean, they don't they don't say no to too many teams. Right. So I think that they did their did their best to work their way into a possible for sure game in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they should be in a playing game either. So 
is there a team or matchup that you look at that you think I could see a a for sure possible upset in the first round of games? The one that jumps out at me, and you always have to pick a twelve over five, right? Is Winthrop over Villanova? Damn you! That was my game. <laughs> but did you watch the selection show every twelve five? Yeah. Yep. Yep, like the Gauchos from UC Santa Barbara in this game. Oh, like Winthrop over uh, Villanova. Yep, uh, like uh, Georgetown over over Colorado. They're playing really well right now. Like well, Oregon State, possible. Well, Clark Kellogg and Seth Davis, you really went out on a limb there by picking all four 12 seats. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, I did watch that. I didn't even really stop to think that they, yeah. <laughs> Oh, but I, I liked Winthrop too. And not mm-hmm. only just because they've played really well this year. Yeah, they're 23 and one, but that's really not why they played well. But more importantly, Villanova was without Connor Gillespie. And obviously he is hands down their best player on Villanova. Mm-hmm. So I coach Wright and the Wildcats are going to be a little shorthanded. And Winthrop is able to get out and shoot the ball. Uh-huh. So that's the one game that I'm really looking at. Yeah, and then you're looking at their next game, Purdue or North Texas. I think if like, Purdue kind of runs hot and cold. You know, like you saw that in their game against uh, Ohio State. They're down 19, but then they tie it to, to, to get to overtime. Like, where are we? What's going on here? Yeah. So I, anything's pot. If, if you're a, if you're a, you know, a seed between 12 and 14, you're able to win a game. Anything's possible mm-hmm. with that next yep. game. Oh, every year. Because who knows if, let's say if you're playing, let's say if Winthrop beats Villanova and you're playing the winner of Purdue and North Texas, if North Texas somehow beats Purdue as well, now you're playing basically another mid-major. Right. And now you've set yourself up to a chance to be in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Meanwhile, North Carolina and Wisconsin are beating up on each other in the 8-9 game above <laughs> you to go to, to go to play Baylor. That's going to be a brutal, I think it's going to be a brutal game. I think it's going to be very tough for both teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the same with uh, Oklahoma and Missouri. I think both those teams are pretty evenly matched as well. And the one area that stands out in that game, neither team really playing their best basketball going into the tournament. I think that kind of both of those 8-9 matchups, they are defined by they haven't been very consistent this year, all four of those teams. I think that's why they're there. They haven't. And then you looked at the other four 8-9 games. We obviously already talked about Loyola and Georgia Tech. But the other two... Uh, LSU and St. Bonaventure. I think right. that's going to be a very good game. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by St. Bonaventure getting a nine seed. You thought it'd be... A- I thought they'd be a little bit higher. I mean, they won the A-10, which I think is... A, a, I think it's good. A, a good league. Yeah. And, you know, gosh, I thought I thought, I thought maybe they'd get a better seed. But I, then, I, then I think about it, like, if I do I think they get a better seed than... Do I think they're better than Loyola? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But actually, maybe it's the the name brand of the A10. That could be, and, I, and maybe the other aspect is well, the A10 only got two teams in. You know, it was just them and VCU, and VCU was a ten seed. Uh, if the A10, if SLU played a lot better mm-hmm. and they get in, now there's three teams in the A10. They may not look okay. Hey, uh, St. Bonaventure just won from a three bid or three team league uh, to get into the tournament. Maybe they're more worthy of a nine seed now. Mm-hmm. So. I'm sure a lot goes into goes into play there. Uh, is there a certain uh, certain game on here outside of games that involve the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley that you'd really like to uh, watch? 
I don't know that in the initial matchups that there's one that jumps out at me. Um, maybe uh, Grand Canyon with Coach Drew. You know, he's really kind of brought that program back in a hurry. I know, you know, happy for him oh, yeah. after kind of the um, trouble that he had at uh, Vanderbilt. And, you know, it, I don't know that I really felt he got a fair or long enough shot there. But, you know, th- th- you have to turn around quickly there. So, but, you know, take, going to Grand Canyon and getting those guys to the tournament, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I like their chances against Iowa, but it's I want to see Grand, Grand Canyon play. So, how so, about you? Uh, yeah, I think one of the games that I'm really looking forward to, uh, really it's, I think it, it may not be a game that a lot of people would expect, but that first round game of Florida and Virginia Tech. Okay. I think that could be a seven ten matchup. Yeah. I think, I think Virginia Tech's a lot better than a 10 seed. Okay. Um, so I really like Virginia Tech in that game and I'm really looking forward to see how well, uh, that that matchup between the two uh two teams go uh but if you had to pick right now because i'm not sure if you've actually filled out your bracket or not Mm -hmm. to this point when you look at the final four if you had to pick because i'm not saying you picked one of these teams is there a team outside of a one or two seed that you really like to get to the final four Gosh, looking at it that way, I was it Florida State? Did they get a four seed? Yes, I like Coach Hamilton. Damn, I, it, you just taking all of my every time I try. <laughs> you take every one that I I got mentally in my head. You know, and I, and I have an affinity for Coach Hamilton. I see I, when I was coaching, I saw him speak a couple times and love a lot of the things he had to say, and you know, really defensive driven, and. Maybe that's the key, you know, in this year that you know, it's kind of like in baseball, you're always going to trust pitching more than you're going to trust hitting basketball. I think you're going to trust your defense more than you're going to expect that your guys to shoot. Well, you know, you can't count on that every night. So yeah, I, I really like Florida state to, to get there. Um, Coach Hamilton every year seems like he has one of the tallest teams in college basketball. And not only are they tall, they can usually shoot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that East bracket, you know, if Florida State, you know, get past UNC Greensboro and then they play the winner at Colorado and Georgetown, then after that, I mean, I think, I know, think, I think of the four one seeds, Michigan's the team you want to play. I think, I think you're right. You know, Baylor's had a great season. Gonzaga, right? We've talked about Illinois, hot like we talked about. I mean, you're. I think, I, I think Alabama's primed to take that regional. You know, or take that that bracket. Yeah. Their offense is good. Mm-hmm. They're just gonna yeah, have playing to, really well. They're just gonna have to level up their defense mm-hmm. against some of the teams. Yep. But outside of that, TJ, uh, to kind of wrap the show, I think you had a quick uh, note on the women's tournament. Yeah, the women's tournament for the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, we talked about last week that when uh, Northern Iowa had a positive test, they did contract contact tracing, if I could say that correctly. And ended up that they didn't have enough players available. So you fast forward to the women's tournament, which is always a week later, which is always kind of weird to me. But uh, there were two positives. I think one was with Drake and the other was with Bradley, if I remember correctly. And Missouri State ranked number 21 in the country. Clearly the best team in the conference was supposed to play Bradley. And if they won, they were in all likelihood play Drake. They, you know, they did contact tracing and said, hey, they're still going to have enough players. We want you to play the game. And Missouri State 
chose not to. They said, we're not going to do it. We're going to go home and take our chances of getting a, you know, getting in the tournament anyway, which they were a lock, I think, at turn sure. one. And it, it worked out. I think they ended up with a five seed. I don't have it in front of me. But Bradley wins the tournament. They upset Drake in the final, and it's the first ever trip to the NCAA tournament for Bradley, which, in hindsight, helps the league because now you have two teams in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. I don't know that it pays nearly as well to the conference as you know the men's tournament, but it still helps. And now you have two teams in there. If each team can get a win or two, hey, that's all the more. And especially in, you know, we've been talking about tight budgets. So I didn't know what you thought about Missouri State's decision to say, hey, we don't want to take the chance in our kids getting sick or being, you know, having COVID. And, you know, we're just going to cut our losses here and get ready for the tournament. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think you have to look at the aspect that they were trying to put their players uh, health and safety, you know, above anything else. Were uh, they though? But or were they trying to make sure that nobody got COVID, so they still got in the tournament? Well, that that also could. I mean, that could be because I, I, I think if they lose in the Missouri Valley tournament, I really I think they're getting in regardless. Okay, mm-hmm. um, just because they were already ranked. Right. Um, it could have been like a scenario from, you know, two years ago when Murray State and Belmont both got mm-hmm. into the tournament on the men's side. on the men's side. Uh, so I think if they lost, they were getting in regardless. But your point on now whether you know a player or multiple players got COVID, well then yeah, they could really have hurt their chances mm-hmm. on. Uh, yeah, maybe they still get in the tournament. Maybe their best player, two players, are out, and then that mm-hmm. really hurts their chances of even competing against a game mm-hmm. that they could win. So yeah, there's I guess there's multiple ways you could look at that. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting scenario, and as the news was kind of coming out, you know, I was following Wyatt Wheeler on Twitter and stuff like that, there were things like, well, they forced Missouri state to choose whether to play or to forfeit. Like, but the more it sounds like it was AD Kyle Motes and the program decided like, no, this is our, this is the best case scenario for us is if we just, we're going to stop here we're going to go home and we're going to get ready for the tournament. Cause ultimately that's what you're playing for. I mean, you want to win conference tournaments, but don't you want to make a run in the NCAA tournament? I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a reason why it's called the Jackie styles award because she got him to the, the, the final four. It also helps with recruiting, too. Yep, absolutely. Uh, real quick here to wrap up the show. Uh, did you see where some of the highest rated officials uh, were sent home? John Higgins, who is a an MVC regular. But they also put Teddy Valentine in that discussion. And I, th- I think Kip Kissinger was one, too. And he's, a, he's up there for highest rated officials, too. Uh, but... What was your thoughts on them? Uh, you know, they they said that once they showed up to the hotel, they were supposed to stay there and not leave. But they said their rooms yeah, weren't the room ready. Were ready, so they went out to eat. I mean, wouldn't we have all done that? Yeah, I mean, you really can't fault them. Yeah, or at and, least I don't. And at least two of them were going to work with them. Yeah, so you're going to see them anyway. Yeah, so you know, it's an opportunity for some other officials. They said they didn't bring as many officials because of COVID, and you probably because they're in central locations. Hey, you know, I, do I need more than? You know, two two crews per site. Exactly. I'm excited about that. They're going to be using Hinkle Fieldhouse. Oh, I'm sure for that part of that too. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I just hope it all runs smoothly, and you know, not many. I hope no teams, you know, end up having to you know end their season because of COVID. Completely agree. So. But with that, TJ, that'll wrap up episode 39 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, 
I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 40. You can follow us on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. And also be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, or SoundCloud. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.